Welcome to Season 4 of the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. Starring El Gran Tommy Martinez. And featuring Adam Tate. Brought to you by Datacoba Promotions. Promotions Studio One and featuring Data Cobo Promotions Studio Equipment. And now, buckle up for the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. Welcome and welcome to the Time and Adam Hard to Name Podcast, season number four, episode number 10. I finally reached the double digits this season. That's crazy. I didn't think I would pass like two episodes after Adam has left. Anyway, you didn't hear his voice. So doing this podcast on behalf of my friend and podcast partner, Mr. Adam Tate. I am your host, El Gran Tommy Martinez, ready to deliver yet another great episode of this podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, App RSS Podcast, and many other of your favorite DSPs. I want to start by apologizing for the sound of the last episode. It was uh, a bit distortion there at the beginning, and then it did get better, but not how I like it, given that I was also recovering from that upper respiratory shit that I got couple of weeks ago. Man, sorry about that. I was having some problems and I actually I'm, st- I'm still having a little bit of problems with my mixer, but that's okay. It's okay. I'm here. I'm I'm doing the podcast as best as I can. No apologies other than uh you know, it sounded pretty shitty. <laughs> but the rest of the podcast was pretty good. Check it out. Check it out on your uh, favorite DSPs. Just had a birthday also this past week. That was pretty awesome. My wife always does a great job in celebrating any birthday. I want to send a big shout out, a big I love you, baby. You did a great job. You always take care of me excellently. You take care of everybody in our family so well. Mm. Had some friends over, had some dinner, had cake. Yeah. I also found out that there was a certain person that sits across from me here in Datekoba Promotion Studios 1 that will remain nameless, even though his name is in the title of this podcast, was invited and didn't come. Man, that hurt. That hurt very much. <laughs> the only person that probably would have stopped that party so we could run in here and do a recording didn't come. Anyway, I did find out that he is uh <laughs> that he's doing many, many things <laughs> that I understand are very help <laughs> me are very important. Help me. I'm so scared. Why are you scared? Help me. I can't believe it. It was only good things. That's all I heard. I can't help you. All, all I can do is. I'm sorry. 
All I can do is offer sanctuary here. That's all I can do. Oh, wow. I, um, you know what? But a good thing is I also heard he has a scheduled trip to uh, paradise. So I, I wish you a happy trip to paradise, my friend. <laughs> Remember, the door's always open for you here. I'll tell you what, let's just go straight into the podcast. Good morning. Today is March the 25th of 2023. And it is Token Reading Day. If you haven't figured that out. That's Bradley Hall covering uh, some of the tunes from The Hobbit in a heavy metal guitar fashion. I love it. Mm. (laughs) Wow. National Token Reading Day. That's the way to start. You combine two of the things that I love in this world as heavy metal and Tolkien books and lore and everything else that he provided. And (laughs) I don't need anything else. That's birthday present enough for me. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I am a Lords of the Ring fanatic. I've enjoyed many hours of reading and watching and researching and immersed in the wonderful worlds that J.R.R. Tolkien has created in many of his books, essays and writings that he's gifted the world with. So you won't have to dive into Google and see who J.R.R. Tolkien is. He was an English professor born on January the 3rd of 1892. He passed away in 1973. In life, he was a writer, a poet, a philosopher. I believe he was also a veteran, a linguist, father, a grandfather, you name it. He will always be known for creating for what can arguably be known as one of the greatest fantasy worlds of literature, which are the worlds created in his books of The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, The Similarian, all the essays, the extra short stories, and everything that explains the wonders of this incredible world, Middle Earth, with its own languages, its own people, its own customs, its own flora, its own fauna. It's wonderful because he wrote it down to the very exact and minute detail. You like Star Wars, you like Star Trek. You like the Game of Thrones and shit like that? Well, before all that, it was Tolkien and Middle-earth. And just to give you an idea of how before all that was released in the minds of popular culture, especially more uh, modern age popular culture, and the easy and more readily available TV and movies, the book The Hobbit There and Back Again was published on September the 21st of 1937. The Lord of the Rings was published on July the 29th of 1954. The Two Towers was published November the 11th of 1954. And finally, out of the most popular publishings of Tolkien, was The Return of the King, published on October the 20th of 1955. We have to put in context when these publishings were made. Back in the 1930s, when The Hobbit came out, there was no TV. You'd maybe get some Lone Ranger on the radio and things like that, but there was no TV. So people obviously had to read to entertain themselves. So along comes these great novels and it immerses people into these worlds. And standing out, of course, are these works of Tolkien. And just to give you an idea of how popular these novels are, the Lord of the Rings trilogy 
that includes the two towers and the return of the king, have sold over 150 million copies worldwide. And the number continues to grow. When I was a kid, somebody lent me a copy of The Fellowship of the Rings. It was in Spanish, and I read it. And it was kind of like all over the place. That's what I remember of it. I could specifically remember how detailed the descriptions of Middle Earth were, and also the translations of these weird languages. And I look at the words, and I kind of like gloss over them, read them, and I had to go back and forth. It was not an easy read, but for some reason, I just couldn't get away from it. I had to know about this place. You have to remember, I was an avid comic book reader, so I was used to pictures with words when it came to my fantasy. Then along comes this book, and it blew me away. I had read Star Wars. And when I say Star Wars, the new generation knows it as the new hope. So I had read that movie in book form because obviously we didn't have any money to go to the to the uh, movie theaters to see it. So this is how I first was introduced to Star Wars itself. Plus, I had also the uh, the six series comic book of Star Wars. It was cool. It gave you a visual. Plus, the paperback novel had some pictures of the actual movie itself. But compared to The Lord of the Rings, mm, that's a whole different experience. This book has no pictures per se. It has a bunch of drawings illustrated by Tolkien himself. You have some drawings of the characters. You have geography, the lay of the land. You could kind of see it in these uh, maps that are made up of this incredible world. And even though Middle Earth is a whole different planet, if you were to put it in some kind of context, I personally always have viewed it like another continent here on Earth, uh, another continent that just you can't get to. That's uh, that's how I visualize that. That was my personal experience. And to this day, I still view it that way. Now, ways of how to observe National Tolkien Reading Day. Take a minute and take a look at it. If you've seen the movies, you know, obviously that's your first intro to it. Go a little bit deeper. Explore the wonders of reading uh, about this world of Middle Earth and all of its characters, places, lore, etc., etc. I follow many of these nerd pages on social media. One being about the Lord of the Rings. I went ahead and created this meme of me riding on my motorcycle, ready to do battle on the fields of Pelennor alongside of the riders of Rohan <laughs> and posted it. Now, if you are a Tolkien fan, you knew exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> it was pretty ridiculous, and I, and I had some responses on it. And that's always cool to get some feedback. Let's just say uh, <laughs> uh, the nerds of the ring who uh, take this stuff extremely serious didn't find it that funny, but I did. And like we always do on these things, I went ahead and hashtagged it, National Tolkien Reading Day. <laughs> no, seriously, go ahead and check out some of the uh, Lord of the Rings material. Uh, you can go ahead and Google whatever you want to do and check it out. It's a really cool world. <laughs> uh, and remember, those who don't read are taken for suckers. It is also National Medal of Honor Day. That's pretty awesome. So salute to all those who have ever received one. It's the Tanya and Adam's Hard to Name Podcast. Day in Rock History! Brought to you from the pages of History.com, TodayInMusic.com, SongFacts.com, and ClassicBands.com. 
that's the ballad of Yoko and John. By some Swedish band. It was posted on YouTube by some guy called Janeki Van Hiswuk. Something like that. Yoko. <laughs> Poor Yoko's been a punching bag of rock and roll for a long time. The other day, Gene Simmons <laughs> even posted something <laughs> about Yoko. But whatever you want to say about Yoko, I could tell you what, she's probably laughing herself all the way to the bank. She got all that John Lennon dough. Because on March the 20th of 1969, John Lennon married Yoko Ono at the Rock of the Gibraltar in Spain. The Beatles song, The Ballad of John and Yoko, the one we just heard, described their ordeal finding a location for their nuptials. We have to place ourselves back in time, probably. The folks that were listening to the Beatles, big Beatles fans, could figure that out immediately on the uh, lyrics of the song because the chorus goes, Christ, you know it ain't easy. You know how hard it can be. The way things are going, they're going to crucify me. Mm -hmm. There's even a portion in there that talks about Gibraltar. So it wasn't fiction. They actually got married there. One of the standout things about this song is that it has a country and western flavor, as it was called back then, with the slide guitar going back and forth. You know, I just realized that I've been calling Gibraltar <laughs> Gibraltar. So I've been, it's for all of you who don't know, Gibraltar is like a prize of war when England fought against uh, Spain. So that's the real pronunciation of Gibraltar. So, so there you have a little bit of history on Gibraltar, Gibraltar, tomatoes, tomatoes. Anyway, where I was going. We could go ahead and say all kinds of comments and this, this, and the other about Yoko and how she broke up the Beatles and, you know, all these other things that go along with anything Yoko. But Yoko's a very rich woman. so <laughs> And I don't think she gives three shits of what we think about her. To be very quite honest, she didn't give three shits or didn't appear to give three shits of what the other three Beatles thought about her. Now, for all of you who like that romantical bullshit, they spent their honeymoon in Amsterdam campaigning for an international bed-in for peace. That's uh, typical John Lennon stuff. Absolutely, they planned another bed-in in the United States. But were denied entry, no shit. The couple then went to Montreal and during the bed-in at Queen Elizabeth's Hotel recorded, Give Peace a Chance. You know, the other day I was watching YouTube and uh, Lenny Kravitz's cover of that came out. Uh, I believe it was on the Arsenio Hall show. Had Tony Bennett and some other uh, guest singing along with him. Early 90s around there. Anyway, going back to Yoko and John to close this out. John Lennon detailed this period of the Beatles as the ballad of John and Yoko. Hmm. John Lennon titled this period of his life with the title of a song that he later recorded with McCartney that same year, turned it into a hit song. What are you going to do? Why not make it autobiographical for your fans? That's what the Beatles did. They gave you a glimpse of their life and many of their songs. This is way before social media, boys and girls. So you have to understand that's what makes this very cool. Settle down, class. It's this week's rockin' higher education lesson on Led Zeppelin 101 with Professor Adam Lee Tate. Uh, 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 
Zeppelin 101 students. And this is Zeppelin, obviously, back in 1971. This is all I need. Take that kick in the teeth, popular music. Mm. I could actually just listen to this all day long. This is off of Led Zeppelin 3, by the way, if you didn't know that. And by the way, in typical Zeppelin fashion, this song isn't called All I Need. It is called Out on the Tiles. So, so please don't send me no fucking email correcting me. Sometimes I just get caught up on the songs. Plus, this is a deep cut. Only the really, really hardcore fans would know this one. Uh, like the professor, this is what he would call a deep cut. Get a chance to play that record. It'd be very educational for you. Maybe for your children if they're uh, rolling with you in your car this Saturday morning or whenever you're listening to this podcast. The Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast, obviously. Available on Spotify and all the rest of your favorite DSPs. Oh yeah, oh yeah! <laughs> I can't control myself sometimes. Those lyrics stick in my head. Actually, this would have been a very awesome song to do on lyrics that will blow your mind. There's this one part that goes, A rain of sunshine melts my frown and blows my blues away. <laughs> you can debate all you want about this or that music. This is the kind of music that moves at least my soul. Anyway, going to the lesson today. Back in 1971, March the 21st of 1971, Zeppelin, our heroes, appeared. At the Boat Club in Nottingham, England, on their Back to the Clubs tour. This wasn't, uh, I think, recorded at Back to the Clubs tour. This piece was off of YouTube. It says something about uh, Live in Houston. Uh, this was the first tour which Led Zeppelin performed Stairway to Heaven, Black Dog, and Going to California. Zeppelin opened the set with the Immigrant Song and Heartbreaker. Mm-mm-mm. How awesome would it be to have a time machine and go back to that? Some people would use a time machine to go back and kill like Hitler and do important things like that to save the future of the world. <laughs> I'd use it to go see rock and roll shows from the era that I missed out. I was, what, six years old when this was coming out. Man! That beat's still in my head. Speaking about great songs and beats being in my head. The other day I had this great idea to record something for the podcast just to use it in some future episode. And my guitar isn't here. <laughs> Heron still has my guitar. Anyway, it kind of messed up my mojo, my creative mojo. This quiz won't be that difficult for you because if you noticed, I mentioned Black Dog, Stairway to Heaven, and Going to California. Now, this is the era where they're playing songs off of Led Zeppelin three. They're going to these smaller clubs, and you would ask, why is that important? I think, and this is just me theorizing, is before they unleash this monster record, which is Led Zeppelin IV, that included these three songs I just mentioned. They're out there, they're feeding the public with this, they're trying to get that feedback, that face-to-face -face feedback of these great songs that we all know today in 2023. But back then, you didn't know what was going to be happening. You, didn't, you couldn't predict the future. 
Well, that is unless you were Jimmy Page and were dealing in some bullshit like the occult. But that's neither here nor there. Because the best way, in my opinion, to get that feedback, to get that, uh, that give and take, is that small venues. That is the way to go. My personal encounter with Slash of Guns N' Roses was in a small club face-to-face. I've told this story a thousand times, so I'm not going to go there. But Zeppelin had to be testing their songs. These songs, these monumental rock songs, the ones that everyone knows about, everyone who enjoys live music, everyone who enjoys classic rock, anyone who likes rock and roll knows about these songs. The songs that defined a group as great as Led Zeppelin. I was a big Led Zeppelin fan even before we started doing this podcast. But during this podcast, it's taken a whole nother definition. It's taken a whole nother route into the world that is Led Zeppelin. Who, by the way, have also referenced Tolkien. (laughs) The works of J.R.R. Tolkien and their uh, wonderful music. (laughs) So there, there's my first tie-in for this episode. If you see any major rock and rollers going to the small clubs... A couple of years ago, Bon Jovi did it. It was big news. And some other, I think the Foo Fighters have done it here and there. There's your reason. Obviously, not all do that. I mean, some of them really stink now, and they have to go to the smaller clubs to try to get in uh, any kind of money from touring, especially with these big shows and this lip-singing mess, playing and singing over tracks. Some just need to go back to the clubs. Now, who has followed suit after uh, Zeppelin went and played this uh, boat club? Elton John. Black Sabbath, the Sex Pistols, and Mr. Goodlooking himself, Rod Stewart. So this is nothing new. It's been done by Zeppelin and God knows by who else. So the key, boys and girls, is to test your material in the clubs. From the smallest of acts to the bigger of acts. Thank you, Zeppelin. those chords it's already gone but it's not the eagles it's a group called sweet fever and they're covering the eagles already gone nice you see the video on youtube uh they're in the backyard chilling And playing uh, two acoustics and a bass acoustic. Nice. The Eagles. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. 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 The Eagles. (laughs) That's my second tie-in to Tolkien Reading Day. (laughs) If you've seen the movies, you've seen the Eagles. They've helped out, you know, the men and Gandalf and the dwarves who were on the quest for Erebor, i.e. also Bilbo Baggins. The elves, they were sent and they were able to speak. They were awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. And plus, they rescued Frodo and Samwise there at the end, out at Mount Doom. This is turning into the Tolkien podcast. <laughs> Maybe I'm competing with the Nerds of the Ring and some other people. Not. And the Prancing Pony, and the rest of those, and those mega fans of Tolkien. Cool thing is, I get to go ahead and mix it up with some rock and roll. <laughs> Completely unrelated. The Eagles, the rock and roll Eagles. Not the Tolkien Eagles. (laughs) On March 22nd of 1974, the Eagles released their third studio album, On the Border. 
the first Eagles album to feature guitarist Don Felder. This album included Already Gone. You heard a little bit of that. James Dean and, of course, The Best of My Love. That's a beautiful song. Actually, that song was made for banging, more than likely, because it really gets you into a really groovy love mood. And since I like bringing into the conversation the strange things that are on these records, is there's a hidden message carved into the run-out groove of some of the vinyl LPs. It says, he who hesitates is lunch. <laughs> so if you're curious of what the run-out area is, it's the area between the last track on the LP and the label. There's not supposed to be anything there. It's dead space. So on an LP, you have the outer diameter, you have a track, you have a break, you have a track, you have a break, you have a track. Then at the last track, it immediately goes into this runout area. So in that little area is where the Eagles recorded on just on some of them, not on all of them. He who hesitates is lunch. There, you want to argue with some hipsters who think vinyl is the shit? I just gave you the parts of a vinyl record. Go ahead and quiz them so you can fuck with them. This weekend, oh yeah, KISS! This week and Kistery. This is a very rare recording, probably recorded in VHS back in 1996 when they were rehearsing for the first and only reunion tour. That's Mr. Ace Fraley giving you that melody, baby. Of a song that we all know and we all love. Rock Bottom. Because in 1975, Kiss released their third studio album, Dressed to Kill. Which featured this great song. It's a heck of an intro. Very melodical. Actually, Ace is playing a double neck guitar on that one. Double neck uh, Gibson Les Paul. That's the 12 string part. Man, it's so cool. Just watching the video. I'm going to post that video on the description so you can check it out. Here comes Mr. Paul Stanley. He's ready to get the mic and start his part. Ah, it's like watching magic. Wow. I love it. I love seeing created music on the spot. Anyway, this record was produced by Casablanca Records. President Neil Bogart and the band itself, as the label's financial situation at the time did not permit the hiring 
of a professional producer. Wow. This record includes room service, two-timer, ladies in waiting, ladies in waiting, getaway rock bottom, come on and love me. Oh, wow. Anything for my baby. She, love her all I can. And of course, kiss show closer, rock and roll all night. Wow. Yeah, wow. And along with this record comes an iconic photograph taken of them in Manhattan where they're in suits. They're wearing their Kiss persona makeup. Ah, business suits, by the way. Dressed to kill. And we were just speaking about the parts of the uh, long-playing vinyl records. On this record specifically, a lot of these songs were really, really short. So what Kiss did was, on the original vinyl versions... They had long pauses between each track. The pauses would be that space that I called the break. And the breaks would be that smooth part between the grooves of the vinyl, which is the actual track. And then there's that little uh, smooth part. That smooth part was just a tad bit wider. And when you play the record, it just seems that it's longer when it isn't. And that's where you're giving the consumer an actual long play. That's why it's called the long played record. I would imagine so the consumer wouldn't feel gypped. But this is a fantastic record with song after song. It doesn't matter how long they may be. They were just really good songs. Simple, short, and catchy. And thus it didn't seem that each side was 15 minutes long because you were really entertained by this record. And on top of the production problems they had, also uh, two-timer was listed at 2 minutes and 59 seconds, and ladies-in-waiting was listed as 2 minutes and 47 seconds when they were not. Two-timers was actually 2 minutes and 47 seconds. Ladies-in-waiting was 2 minutes and 35 seconds, which is the shortest track, along with anything for my baby. My lady is a (laughs) two-timer. It's in, it's in my head. I can't, I can't help myself. Now, there's also a tie-in to Tolkien Day on this, on this piece. Uh, no, I, I, I'm trying to make it work, but it probably won't. But uh, there's a song here by the title of She. She, right? Well, the big giant spider that captures uh, Frodo and almost kills him on, the, uh, on their way to Mordor through the secret entrance where Gollum took him through. Well, that spider's name was Shelob. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I really, I really can't help myself. Anyway, you know what's going on with Kiss End of the Road Tour, last 50 shows, whatever it may be. Go ahead and check them out, especially you youngins that don't know anything about real rock and roll shows and marvel at the wonders that is Kiss and Kiss Showmanship. <laughs> You heard right. That's Guns 4 Roses. 
and their cover of Paradise City. Another cover band, they're doing really good jobs with these songs. I was just talking about Kiss and, you know, catching these guys on the road before they pass away and, you know, there's no more real rock and roll from the 60s, 70s and the 80s out there, maybe a little bit of the 90s. So this is where we're going to be left with these tribute bands because very little are doing uh, new things, just like, let's say, Steel Panther and acts like that. Uh, maybe uh, some other big names like... Uh, Iron Maidens and whatnot. Anyway, yeah, check them out if you have the time. Also, check out the real Guns N' Roses. They're also out on the road. And for that, Adam and me were extremely grateful. We've seen them twice after they've uh, quote-unquote got together again. And really, the only people who got together again, you all know that Slash, Duff McKagan, and Axel, the rest is just uh, fillers. Hired guns, as they're called. Extremely talented hired guns, actually. Because back in 1986, the version of Guns N' Roses we all loved, the version that we were introduced to uh, on March the 25th of 1986, signed a worldwide deal with Geffen Records. Now, what the hell is a worldwide deal? Today in 2023, we're just glad they signed and were set out into the world to make this great music that we've loved since day one. At least us hardcore rock and roll fans. This is the late 80s, well, mid to late 80s. That hair metal, that glam copycat scene was still out there uh, bombarding our senses with all this pre-produced material that was coming out of Los Angeles and all these guys with this gigantic hair and wanting to play guitar with this flash, all this showmanship, like overacting, like Spanish novellas. Then here comes Guns N' Roses, takes everybody by storm. And released this monster record, what, a year and some change after they were signed, called Appetite for Destruction. That record has sold in excess of 28 million copies worldwide. And I think the statistics for Guns N' Roses records are 100 million worldwide. And that would be the Use the Illusion 2, Use the Illusion 1, and Lies. And Lies was just an EP. Now, from signing to when Appetite was released, a year and some change went by. In that year and some change, Geffen Records had to make sure that these guys stayed alive and stayed out of jail. That's how crazy it was in the Guns N' Roses camp. If you lived during that era, you would see a lot of uh, wild footage coming out of MTV where basically you'd see five drunks up there or five. Now that I think about it, I didn't think Axl Rose would appear to be drunk or high, but the rest, Slash, Duff McKagan, Steven Adler, yeah, those guys were completely out of control. Uh, all the uh, news, all the rock and roll news was just alive with the antics of these guys. Yeah, uh, In one of the MTV Music Video Awards, Slash came out with one of these uh, famous porn stars of the time, which was completely shocking to a lot of people. Now you come out with a porn star, it's no big deal. And the way it was made to seem was that Slash was actually going out with this person, which wasn't true. They had met backstage. Then they started going out. And I believe the uh, porn actress was Tracy Lords, the Tracy Lord that had created this controversy in 
porn by acting out in these movies while she was a minor. So that was even more appealing and more shocking, I guess, to the public that created more interest than than really what it merited. <laughs> but, you know, so is rock and roll. And on top of all this, the cool thing is that these guys actually had the musical talent that's needed to last as long as they've lasted within this industry because they've all gone on to do great things, Ah, maybe with the exception of Steven Adler, which was just completely out of control and had strokes and whatnot through his drug addiction. But the rest, they've done very well. Uh, Even Izzy Stradlin pops up every once in a while and goes to a show and plays here and there. The most successful, obviously, has been Slash. He's played with a countless list of artists of all kinds of genres. Has done Slash and the Slash Snake Pit or the Snake Pit Velvet Revolver along with uh, Duff McKagan, who uh, has done well himself, also was able to kick his drug addiction. And then you could even consider Guns N' Roses as a Slash side project because he's out there. He's touring with uh, the conspirators, Miles Kennedy and the rest. And he's doing very well with that. And even Axl Rose shows up every once in a while in news that is not related to Guns N' Roses or Guns N' Roses controversies. He just played at Lisa Marie Presley's funeral. I believe he sung November Rain, played the piano there as a tribute. Yeah, my cousin Joey out of Phoenix, he got to see the alternate version of Guns N' Roses, uh, probably with Buckethead or uh, whoever these other musicians were on this version of Guns N' Roses, and he loved them. So Axl Rose had that going on and, and kept the Guns N' Roses name alive during this long-ass hiatus that they had before they started doing these coliseums and stadium tours. And my cousin Joey is an authority on rock and roll. He's an authority that at least I respect in his opinion. He's out there. He's watching all these new bands or bands that are are reforming with uh, phenomenal players and singers from previous bands that we loved. So, yeah, a metal horn salute to my cousin Joey, who I think still listens to this podcast every once in a while. And lastly, to their credit, at least the last two times that I got to see him and I was actually with Adam, I think that Axl Rose and company are not using tracks, and uh, especially Axl Rose's voice sounds used. It sounds seasoned. It doesn't sound pristine. It doesn't sound like some kind of a track is going on behind it. So to their credit, especially with all this controversy that's been kicking around for a while, that I think just Eddie Trunk is keeping that controversy alive. And rightfully so. We, we pay a lot of money for these shows. Axl Rose is giving it his all. You know, it's all him. I, I, and that's my opinion, I think. My most humble and unforced opinion. Nah, bro, you, you see me, bro? I'm hard, bro. I'm hard, bro. I'm hard, bro. I'm hard, bro. Let's get started. It's the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. Historic hip hop rapizzle moment. Yo. Let's do this, man. 
That is Dillion Billion Dollars uh, rapping his version of Hypnotized. <laughs> These kids are... He even got his chorus. Dillion Billion Dollars. Wow. <laughs> In their tribute to uh, Biggie Smalls. <laughs> the kid even has the, the notorious B.I.G. signature cap sideways in the whole deal. <laughs> he, he must be a Biggie fan, too, because he's kind of Biggie himself. Check him out on YouTube. March the 25th of 1997. The notorious B.I.G. Big Papa released... His second and final studio album, Life After Death. This is a huge hip-hop rap pizzle record coming out at the tail end of the big East Coast, West Coast crew war of words and even wars of guns and violence and shit like that. Even Snoopy got all tough and said, hey, the East Coast got no love for the West Coast. Remember that shit? One of these fucking war shows. Anyway, going back to the album, it was a huge record. It had guest appearances by Jay-Z, Lil' Kim, Bone Thugs and Harmony, Too Short, DMC of Run DMC, Convicted Child Molester R. Kelly. In a sense, this album was prophetic. He kept on with, uh, I think his first record was called, oh God, oh gosh. Something to die. The production team or whoever was behind this concept had something or had some infatuation with death. Because whatever the last single was on this record that I just mentioned, that I cannot remember the title of Save My Life, was continued on the first track of this record. So it was something like a uh, concept record, but a continued concept record. And it had death all over the place. This 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 record is called Life After Death. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they envisioned Biggie dying of a heart attack versus getting shot. So let's cash in now <laughs> while we can. Might be the last time we see Biggie after he eats this extra large pizza <laughs> and some burgers on the side. Because Biggie, in, in all seriousness, Biggie was even, I, I believe, even made a guest appearance on a Michael Jackson song and had people like uh, Q-Tip submitting beats and whatnot. So Biggie wasn't only Biggie, he was also getting big in the industry. <laughs> you know, now that I think about life after death, <laughs> just to kind of break away from this, Gandalf came back to life after he was killed battling the Balrog. <laughs> Actually, he died after he killed the Balrog. Uh, the Balrog was Biggie, too. <laughs> let's just go ahead and get away from Tolkien Reading Day, and let's just go into the Urban Dictionary. It has a, it has a definition for Biggie. <laughs> the first one, huh? no surprise there. A very popular East Coast rapper during the 90s, a lot of people called Christopher Biggie Smalls Wallace a pussy for not dissing Tupac. Oh, that was left field. Here's one for Biggie Smalls. 
one of the best rappers of all time, along with, and with is spelled W-I-T, along with Tupac. And it says, rest in peace, Biggie. East side till we die. Now, there is no pronunciation for that, but I'm just envisioning how, you know, in the hip hop jargon, rap, his lizzle language, uh, this would be said. So to, to be hip, hipster. Hippolizzle. Now there's a derivative here of, of Biggie. It's termed biggity. And that's on the uh, hip-hop rapizzle dictionary, by the way. It is a verb. It's, it's usually associated or connected with the word bounce. It is the motion performed by exotic dancers <laughs> as they jump up and down <laughs> their client on the so-called lap dance. It's the biggity bounce move. And lo and behold, <laughs> it has an application. Stripper number one. Hey, LaFonda, look at Kalisha bickety bouncing on that fat client. Stripper number two. Girl, he might be fat, but he got some biggie pockets and she's going to biggity bounce all that cash out of him. That's it. was Mr. Taylor Hawkins picking up for Mr. David Grohl. Man. This is a little self-indulging right here because uh, I just wanted to play something in memory of Taylor Hawkins who had died on March the 25th of 2022, just a year ago at age 50. And we stay vigilant to see who's going to replace him on the drums. In the meantime, continuing, rest in peace. Mr. Taylor Hawkins. Born on this day, rock and roll birthdays. It was early morning yesterday. That's Super Tramp. I was up before the dawn. I don't think we played a lot of Super Tramp here. And I really have enjoyed my stay. But Mr. Roger Hodgson, must be moving on. this singer right here, was born March the 21st like a king a of 1950. He's 73 years old. English musician, singer, songwriter known as the former 
co-frontman with Supertramp. He composed and sang the majority of their hits, such as Dreamer, Give It a Little Bit, Breakfast in America, Take the Long Way Home, the logical song, and it's raining song, and this one right here, which is one of my favorites, Goodbye Stranger. Happy birthday, Roger. I enjoy Supertramp. You hear a lot of it on classic radio, still. They're like Steely Dan. They're accomplished musicians, all of them. Happy birthday. Also born on March the 23rd of 1944 is Mr. Rick Ocasek. Passed away a couple of years ago. Very cool tune, slow but very power chord driven. This is the cars and since you're gone. American singer, songwriter, musician from the Cars. Their early hits included Just What I Needed, My Best Friend's Girl, Good Time Rock and Roll, and this one right here, Since You're Gone. The Cars, they really took off during the early MTV days. They were kind of made for that. Also celebrating a birthday is Yvette Marie Stevens. You know her as Shaka Khan. Maybe something you didn't know, Shaka Khan was a percussionist. She laid down some beats. And those would be real beats, actually, played on instruments when she was performing with Rufus. <laughs> I say Shaka Khan in a kind of Godzilla's roar plays in my head because Shaka Khan was Godzilla material for sure in her, in her younger days. If you ask me, she was the focal point of the band Rufus. That's a funk band, by the way, early 70s. I have queued up some of their funk isle. Check it out. That would be Shaka. Tell me something good, Shaka. This was a really excellent music, actually. It's not artificial, it's not produced on a studio actually pure as it comes out man i love it oh yeah oh i'm self-indulging sorry <laughs> And I think I'm going to stop there. Because it's time for hashtag. What the frijoles? And boy, do I have a hashtag today. Staring at boobs may give a boost to male lifespans. <laughs> and no... This is not off of the numerous naughty websites out there. This is actually out of the New York Post. 
You may have heard about this, but this is legit, I guess, when it comes to uh, what the frijoles, because the frijoles are not bullshit stories. And it says, it is the secret we are all trying to unlock. How to live long and happy lives. Long and happy? Isn't this a booby story? Long and happy sounds like a story that would, that would have women live long and happy lives. We'll continue. In the United Kingdom, men in general are not expected to live as long as women. So maybe they need a little bit more help. It says here, men last until they're 79 and on an average and women to the age of 82. That's not too bad. That's like three or four years apart. And that's according to some statistics, some national bureau they have out there in Great Britain. The reason women are living men is down to genetics, according to the Medical Daily. Women have two X chromosomes, which provides them with a backup if a mutation occurs. However, men do not have that luxury. They only have one X chromosome to express all their genes. Isn't that something? It just takes one X for me to express a lot. Personally, I don't see why you need any more, but hey, who am I to argue with science? By the way, this story was originally published in The Sun, so that's why they're referring a lot to Britain here. But Britain's a worldly place. What happens in Britain probably happens all around the world. You know who else is from Great Britain? Tolkien. (laughs) J.R.R. Tolkien. Another thing to love Great Britain for. Plus, we also know that Great Britain has uh, some ladies running around with some massive memories. <laughs> so I've heard and I've actually seen on the Betty Hill show. <laughs> That's it. That's it. No more, no more, no more talking tie-ins. Let's, let's get to this story. It says, this is serious business. Now, in this study, there's six major things that could probably help you extend your life. One says, get a dad bod. No, that sounds like a lot of work. When you're fat like me, you don't want to have anything to have to do with try to get a dad bod. I already had mine. I'm almost 60. I don't need no more of that nonsense. Plus, I'm a granddad now. I have to maintain this granddad body. This belly here helps me play and put my grandchildren on it. Bounce them up and down on my belly. Plus, they can play it like a big drum. The next one is be responsible. Well, I'm responsible. I'm responsible now as an adult. I mean, I think. Pay my bills. I do all those things. I, yeah, I've been responsible, you know, for the most part. Well, I guess that's one up for me. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert before, uh, <laughs> before I go any further. There's no bullshit here about eating vegetables and all that other shit that nobody likes to do to, to extend or to try to extend their life. So we're good there. The next one here is have kids. I don't know about that one. I don't don't know if that'll extend your life. But in correlation to uh, staring at boobs uh, to extend your life, I could see where that one works in. When you have children with with your wife or your girlfriend, whoever it may be, their boobies tend to grow. So you get get to stare at them. They're kind of like even a different set of boobies. So I could see where that one is okay. There's another one here that says get married. I don't know. I don't know about getting married. I know a lot of people that get married and then get divorced. It's over. I've never experienced that. However, I know a crap load of people who've gotten married, then get divorced. Not a good situation. And God forbid that you were to mention their exes. Oh my gosh, no. That bitterness will probably eat them up on the inside. So I don't think getting married is the way to go. Just my opinion though, because I've been married now going on 34 years. And I've had a great marriage. <laughs> uh, another one in my favor. And here's the second to last. And now we're talking. Have lots of sex. 
A study in the BMJ, British Medical Journal, says that, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to like Britain even more now, found sex could decrease a man's mortality rate by as much as 50%. Say what? Yeah, that's what it says here. As mentioned, here comes the scientific stuff. It's all down to sex promoting physical well-being as well as being a stress reliever, which can help reduce the likeliness of illness. Not to mention sex releases serotonin, the happy hormone, which makes us feel better overall. Is that what that is? (laughs) That's going to be a new pickup line. Hey, baby, I like to release some serotonin. (laughs) Maybe. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hey, baby, let's you and me get together and release some serotonin. Feels so good. Mm. <laughs> yeah, why not put some Barry White as you're trying to lay down your Mac Izzle with the Foxy Ladies? And that particular study, life expectancy increased from three to eight years. Wow. In a group that reported multiple and many orgasms. Nice. Hey, Foxy Mama. Let's go extend our life expectancy. Don't go Find a place, man. Yeah. Three to eight years. Doing the vertical mambo. Mm. Like bars and clubs are full of uh, science honeys. And last but not least, the one you've been waiting for, stare at boobies. You would think that's weird, maybe awkward, probably creepy. However, not when you're citing medical work behind it. In a 2012 study published in the Archives of Internal Medicine, says here in this article, it looked at how positive thinking affects men's health. And positive thinking had a real powerful effect on men's health choices. More than half the patients with coronary artery diseases increased their physical activity versus 37% in the control group. This also occurred in the cases where men had high blood pressure. <laughs> so I'm guessing, this is just me, they walk into <laughs> they walk into this laboratory or wherever they were holding this study, they tap, you know, the nurse or whoever was there in the front desk, and they said, I'm, uh, excuse me, nurse, I'm here for the study. My breasts they are very large 34 double g oh 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 really you don't say but then my boobs are just like these huge things oh. double d oh i i can see where the happiness the happiness already starts to flow I, I love medicine i love science but then when they see the size of my breasts and be like whoa like not only did life expectancy started to expand but but there was something else that started to expand. Oh and that was hashtag. What the frijol is. You know what? I'm just going to forego the sound of the week. We've had enough sounds on that one. But before we go to the uh, good times, bad times, I want to warn anybody out there that's... Uh, uh, planning on extending their life uh, span by staring at the bubble twins. I don't think that's a good idea to tell the cops that you're part of a, uh, a medical or a science experiment if you don't have the credentials to back it up. Now let's start wrapping this sucker up. 
Good times, bad times. On the Tommy and Adam Martin Podcast. That was my drink. It spilled over a little bit. Let's start with the bad times. Just yesterday, Night Ranger rescheduled three shows on their current tour after their singer and bassist Jack Blades suffered a uh, health emergency. Wow. That guy, we saw him not too long ago. He looks like he's in good shape. Great performer, great singer. Man, now if you tell me like Iggy Pop or, you know, somebody like that, uh, Frank Beard from ZZ Top, if they suffered a medical emergency, I could, I, I wouldn't be surprised one bit. A lot of details weren't uh, released according to Ultimate Classic Rock on the 23rd of March, which is the date of this news story. The issue has derailed a few of their shows, and the statement reads, First and foremost, we want to apologize to the fans. You guys know better than anyone we don't take this lightly. Earlier this afternoon, Jack was admitted to the hospital. He's in good hands, but on the advice of the medical staff, we will not be able to perform any of our next three shows, which are tonight, and that was obviously the 23rd of March uh, in Anaheim, tomorrow night in Ivins, Utah, and on Saturday night, which is tonight in uh, State Line, Nevada. Three states in one week. I'd say that was a smart choice. I've mentioned this before. Our rock and roll heroes are dying out. That's a fact. It ends with, we have to prioritize Jack's health and safety, and we cannot thank you enough for the understanding. This is not a message we wanted to be sending, and we cannot wait to rock with all of you soon. We will keep you updated as we know more. And actually, these tour dates were pushed back out to October. So, man, these guys are going to be still touring out there. Uh, They released a new record, what, two years ago? When did we see them? I thought we saw them post. No, we saw them pre-COVID. Anyway, yeah, Night Ranger, Jack Blades. Hmm, not doing good. Hope he's better. Hope they stay out there playing, playing to their fans and anybody else who's going out there to see him. They're a really good group to watch. They're very entertaining. Plus, Jack's uh, life expectancy should have been extended long enough. (laughs) I'm sure he's seen one or two boobies uh, in his lifetime. And we end today's podcast with some good times. And the good times are uh, courtesy of Michael Anthony of Chickenfoot and Van Halen fame. He teases new band with Bon Jovi and Aerosmith ties. But don't get too excited. It's none of the really big names that you're used to. He's currently playing in another Sammy Hagar super group, which is The Circle. In previous podcasts, Adam had played some new music from The Circle. It was pretty good. And if you think you haven't heard Michael Anthony, he's the voice in the chorus of all the Van Halen songs. Thus, he's an accomplished singer all on his own. On Eddie Trunk's Trunk Nation, he hinted he has a project going with Phil X, the uh, current guitarist in in Bon Jovi, and also with John Douglas, who has been uh, filling in for Joey Kramer, the drummer of Aerosmith. They also have a singer, but he doesn't want to give out the name. He's just saying he's a very cool singer is what he hints to. Also, they're recording. So with that in mind, there might be some small club touring. I would go to something like that because they could probably squeeze in a cover of some sort of one of the groups that they actually are uh, touring with or playing with. Not to mention, the tickets will be a hell of a lot cheaper. And in this age of tracked records and track instruments, hmm, that allegedly and some confirmed high-profile artists are using 
I personally think that would be a really good, good thing for rock and roll. And for the fans. And for the consumers. All right. I'm done. We're out of here. When I say we, myself and the memory of my great friend Adam Tate. Because his seat is still empty across from me. Adam, come on back, buddy. Whenever you feel like it. That door's open for you. Secret message. Yeah. Well, not a bad podcast at all. I <laughs> I didn't tie in any more Tolkien stuff. But that's okay. Because I gotta head out. It's gonna be a good day, actually, today. Plus, we're still waiting for that call to pick up a, a Wilda's new vehicle. Which is uh, soon to be delivered. It's gonna be nice. That new car smell. FYI, I'm going to be busy, very, very busy, actually, for the next uh, three or four weeks. But maybe I'll put something out in the interim. Who knows? Adam might make it back and motivate me to jump in the seats and forget what I'm doing and crank out another episode of this podcast. As always, we want to thank our legion of listeners, our fans, and whoever else subjects themselves to this podcast. We really appreciate it. Keep in mind, life is not that serious, nor anything else I have said here on this podcast. Question everything and don't believe anyone. Do your own research and come up with your own conclusions. Again, search the keywords, the Tommy and Adam Hart Today podcast. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast app, RSS Podcast, and everywhere else this podcast is on demand and streaming. Activate the notification icon to be notified when we're online. Write a comment and share it with a friend, but mostly with enemies. And for both my podcast brother, Adam Tate, I am El Gran Tommy Martinez. Today is March the 25th of 2023, and you are listening to the Tommy and Adam Hard Today Podcast. Remember to always play it often, play it loud, but play it. The Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast is produced by Dadakola Promotions. Yeah, Richard Kansas. Dadakola Promotions.